Our guest this time is someone I probably should have had on the podcast quite a while back, so we're overdue. Becky Woolley of Chattanooga, Tennessee, has a background in library science, journalism, and ministry, among other things. Stay tuned. Welcome to Dialogues with Creators. Let me say that this whole podcasting journey has been a lot of fun, but I couldn't do any of it without my producer, Clemencia Villafuerte. Say a few words for us, Clemencia. Hi, everyone. It's Clemencia here. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate all the support. We'll continue doing our best so that it continues being good content. And now back to our guest, Becky Woolley. Hi. Uh, I, first of all, thank you. I am very happy to be able to talk about my books anytime, anywhere. And I am, as you say, uh, have been in ministry for 40 years. We started out in campus ministry and the characters in my books that I've written so far are college age people. And I have a heart for them. I have a heart especially for students who come into the college atmosphere and are accosted by teachers or others who uh, think it's their duty to wipe out everything they believe and all of their faith and to ridicule them for their Christianity. And uh, been there, done that. And uh, my books reflect my attempt to reassure them that there are people out there thinking people, uh, scientific people, religious people, uh, educated people who are still believers. And um, I did that in my first book by uh, pointing out that the foibles and the hypocrisy and so forth that we see in American Christianity are not a cause for losing faith. In my second book, I talk about intelligent design, which is the affirmation of design in the universe and a creator. And the fact that it is not creationism and it is not unscientific. And I, my third book, I talk about the political atmosphere that's that current today and it's actually a prequel so you can really start with this book and uh, I try to emphasize that real Christianity has nothing to do with politics and the people who follow earthly leaders in lieu of Christian truth are wrong so that's part of my third book um, also my first book which is my third book if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to get into that. And uh, this does give you a sense of where Becky's coming from. So if you haven't left, <laughs> not, no, I'm pretty sure most of the people who listen to this would uh, more or less agree with you. So, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to say that I met Becky when we were in a writing group back in the 90s. Oh, my word. My, I think you met a bit earlier than that. At what used to be called the Chattanooga Bible Institute on Macaulay Avenue. It has not been there for a long time. That was a pretty amazing group. There were some uh, neat people in that group. And 
In 2011, I started a group in the Northwest Georgia area, Katusa County, with the Writers Guild. And I had some other, I didn't do it by myself. I had some other people with me. And now that he's in that one too, it's quite a different group of folks from the previous one, but they're um, all excellent writers and critiquers. So we've read a lot of each other's writing over the years. And Becky, as she just mentioned, has done three novels. So go ahead. What are the titles of those three? The prequel is called Murder Transported. The first one I wrote is called Nonprofit, that's P-R-O-P-H-E-T, Murders. And the third one, or the second one, is Murder Intelligently Designed. Okay. So, you guys can see that she has a theme here, murder. (laughs) (laughs) So, they're all murder mysteries at some level. And as you mentioned, they're not chronological, at least in the you know first, second, third. You, the one that you just came out with recently is uh, actually the first in the series. So talk about your two main uh, young people characters. Um, I'm proud of my two uh, protagonists. My genre is clerical crime. And typically clerical crime is Catholic or Episcopal or uh, some mainline faith of some sort and and more popular in Britain than in America. These characters are solidly Southern background, semi-rural couple who are definitely conservative Protestant. And I think they're unique in the genre and um, grit. Excuse me, I'll start with Grace. We, we uh, in the prequel, Grace starts out as 17. She's still in high school and she and grit have not met. Grit is the product of two of a farming couple. They live on a farm in rural Alabama and they raised their son you know, putting up hay and feeding the chickens and that kind of thing. And the two of them eventually meet in the middle of this prequel, uh, in the middle of a murder. In the second book, they have gotten together and uh, Grace has moved out of the home. She is on her own. She's 18 and she's working at a car dealership and Grit is in college. And he is a journalism major and has gotten himself a internship at the local newspaper where where he's going to school. He comes out of this rural town into Bennettville, which is in Tennessee, and he's in school there and he's working for the newspaper. And in the third book, the intelligently designed one, they are he has dropped out of school and because he's become disillusioned with his Christian school teachings. And uh, she is trying to finish up her degree and still working. And they are in the midst of their fourth murder in this nonprofit murders book. He is a tattooed romantic. She is, uh, starts out as a very naive, very secluded raised in a very strict home 
atmosphere with a lot of legalism. And she pulls away from that into grace. And he also, he follows her into that. Well, she, anyway, they, they both end up on the side of grace with the understanding of God's grace and pulling away from legalism and mm-hmm. into but very, very solid in their orthodoxy and their belief in Christ. Yes, because, and like you said, this might be unique because we don't usually see such realistically portrayed young people who grow up in that kind of a uh, environment. What we often see in these kinds of books is either they're real stupid <laughs> in the way they're portrayed or they're, they are hypocritical. They're, they're really bad people, but they put it on, you know, in to get along, maybe to impress people that they're the good, good kids in the church and everything. But we, we rarely see young people who struggle with actual faith questions and morality questions and things like that, as well as their careers. And that's, that's why I would recommend your books for, for young people, because they're seeing a, it's not, they're not YA books, but they're for, you know, young people would see them as characters that are like them, that are not goody two shoes, but aren't snotty either. <laughs> that's now, I wonder sometimes if they could be classified as YA Nowadays, YA is a big range. There's also what they yeah. call a young adult, not not young adult, new new adult, which is a totally different thing, which is typically full of sex. But mine or not, I'm not <laughs> we have our struggles, and when we don't uh, measure up to what we're expecting ourselves to measure up to, we don't dwell on it and we don't write it down in big red letters. You know it. It's just something you deal with that you repent of and go on, you know. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot to talk about in, in these novels. And one is that, as you can probably tell, Becky holds no punches when it comes to the quirks, the craziness and the corruption in two areas. The modern evangelical groups, and, and there are a lot of different variations on that. The very legalistic ones, the ones that are maybe more freewheeling but have their own kinds of things they're happening <laughs> maybe a little too too uh, cool and then she also doesn't hold back when she comes to politics regarding especially regarding a certain person who is not to be named to use the phrase from harry potter so why did you you know why those i mean you could have you could have picked other topics to write about right full novels about i tend to pick my victims before I write anything and in my first the first book I wrote I killed off three preachers because I was coming out of a of a denomination where I felt terribly frustrated with the fact that a lot of things were being taught and practiced that were not biblical and I as a woman had nothing to say about it no way to have an influence on anybody and uh, knowing personally the results of the legalism and the division between male and female and what that effect is on female Christians. And so all of that poured out in the first book that I wrote. And I killed off three preachers 
And uh, my husband said that was a good start. And I said, <laughs> Uh, and it was cathartic. And when I go back and read that book, I realized that I really packed an awful lot in there and uh, actually too much. If I were to go back and rewrite it, I think I would make three books out of the book, the one book that I wrote. And I could not write a paragraph without preaching a sermon. And I need to take out some of that to make it a little less dense. But if you can get through it, it's got a lot of good information in it. and it is well written in many places and uh, and funny too if you can find it. So and I like the characters that I created in that book. Um, where was I going? Oh, why I wrote what I wrote the in the as I said in the in the uh, second book, Murder Intelligently Designed. I was really, really, I am really, really moved by those students who have gone off to college unprepared to deal with these highly educated, highly militant educators who think it's their duty to wipe out these people's faith. Mm. And that is such a unworthy project for these people. They've got, they've got that, all that information at their fingertips and, and they use it to put people down and destroy what little faith they have rather than exploring what the Bibles, I mean, let, letting them, the, the students, explore their faith and giving them options to go and study, you know, study this, study that, see what you think, read the Bible, so on, instead of saying, I hate Christians, Christians are stupid, you know, which they actually do sometimes. Yes, they do. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, in, the, in the last book I wrote, which is the prequel, uh, I have been so, so oppressed by the knowledge that a lot of American conservative evangelical Christians have turned their eyes away from Jesus to a person they think is going to save us all. So it is my passion to portray this person as he is. That being said, though, you don't have that character in your book. You have a prototype, perhaps, or a, a parody or something. I have. Yeah, I can read you a couple of passages. That we'll get, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. That might be good. That being the case, so those of you who are listen, listening, if you read the Amazon reviews on Becky's novel, you will come across the word satire. <laughs> and, and with satire, you're, you know, we have humor. So those are the two things I wanted to kind of unpack here. Yet these are also very deeply Christian books. So how does satire fit in with a Christian worldview? There is satire in the Bible. I mean, when, when uh, the Lord says, or when, I guess it was Jesus who said that you can't get into heaven if you're rich, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle, you know, if, and he says, you can't, you can't kill your brother if you've got a big plank sticking out of your eye. Mm -hmm. uh, that's humor. And satire and humor require a standard. You cannot make fun of something if you don't have some kind of a mutual foundation on which to place presumed truth and the mm -hmm. presumed truth 
has been made ridiculous, been plastered over, and, and it is the job of humor to dig out that and say, here's the truth. Here's what's the truth. And here's the contrast. And this is laughable. This up here is laughable because it's nowhere near the truth or the foundation. And if you are, if you're a humorist or, or a jokester and you go into an atmosphere where there are no standards, where uh, there's no sense of right or wrong, there's no sense of propriety or that's what it's very hard to make a joke. You can say a lot of dirty words and people can snicker, <laughs> but, but you're not making intelligent humor. Mm-hmm. Humorous like Mark Twain, like Dickens. I love Dickens. Their humor is satirical. They are saying, okay, here's what the standard is. Here's what norm- normalcy may be. But over here is this thing that if you look at it closely, is nowhere near what's supposed to be. And it's laughable. You know, that's humor. That's satire. And that's what I write. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's a lot of uh, comedians who are saying now that they don't want to, Seinfeld being the main one, they don't want to uh, do comedy with the, on college campuses because, um, and I think it's part of it is because there's such such a, a, a flexible, moving, whatever you want to call it, a sense of what is right and wrong, what is the the normalcy. So they, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, but your books are very funny. Where does your sense of humor come from? Good heavens! <laughs> I think it's a lot of frustration, a lot of things that I could not say for years and years and years, and I have to find a way to sneak them in the back door and uh and and it's just uh, and it is a way of kind of like you have a certain set of glasses on and my glasses are saying that's not right (laughs) that's not right and i want to say i want to write it in big letters look at this it's not right you know that that is my sense of humor We're taking a quick break here in the podcast for me to add some information that I didn't really get into in my discussion with Becky. Her books have been endorsed by two people who really know their information about her genre and about the subject matter. Her book, Nonprofit Murders, which she mentions, has an introduction from Dr. William David Spencer, of Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, who did a thesis entitled Mystery and Mysterium on the Clerical Crime Genre, which is what she writes in. She also sent a copy of Murder Intelligently Designed to Ben Stein. Some of you may remember him as a person who had a TV show called Ben Stein's Money. He was also in the famous clip from Ferris Bueller's Day Off of the boring professor in the high school class. And she had seen a documentary by him called Expelled concerning how believers are treated in academia. And he sent back an endorsement of the book, which was put on the back cover. So I wanted to add those two things in to show the attention that her work has gotten. Thank you. 
think you also have a really strong sense of the the incongruity of things, like the piece that you had us uh, read for the group with the your folks that you live with and your residents there. Oh, they're older. <laughs> they're older folks, and and yeah. sometimes the and 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 you're very sweet about it, but it's very funny. Their their quirks and their forgetfulness and things like that. Yeah. So yes. Becky's very funny, and so she's going to read for us if she doesn't mind. Okay. This is from my prequel, and I'm going to start with, we're dealing with a letter from Grit's mom. And I think I have found my voice in Grit's mom. Her name is Susie. And Susie is a farm woman, and she's raised this good old southern boy and he loves getting letters from home and it's uh, home is dover Hill, alabama 3500 people in the county seat of calvary county and grid's going to college and he is an intern at the bennettville sentinel and eugene wilder is a con man who's running for county judgeship in calvary county and he gets this letter from his mom. Little introduction. Life huffed and puffed and whistled toward grit like a hundred ton steam engine hauling a load of coal. Nothing could cheer him up. Nothing except a letter from home. He drove into town and stopped at the New Jerusalem post office. His box was filled with a thick envelope from home and overdue bill. He tore off the end of his mom's letter and shook out the contents. Four double-sided handwritten pages and a printed program fell into his hand. He hurriedly stuffed the contents back in the envelope, loped to his truck for a com- comfortable reading spot, and plunged in, heart first. Dear Griff, in spite of what I think about the man, your father and I decided to go to the Wilder Ball. This is the inauguration of Wilder to his judgeship. Dover Hill may never be the same. First of all, the food we got. We got there as soon as they opened the doors at eight. When we walked in, there were eight or ten long tables full of appetizers. The stuff on those trays didn't come from around here. Your dad tasted anything that didn't look like it might get off the cracker and crawl away, and he kept it down, so I guess I was all right. I stuck the stuff I thought I had seen before, and most of it was worth the calories. The gym was decked out in red, white, and blue streamers with little silver stars all over the ceiling, flags everywhere. I don't think you're supposed to sit on the flag, but there they were, draped over every seat. I kind of scooted mine over and tried to sit on the empty half. I think the whole town showed up. I saw at least three people there that the church has been tending to as shut-ins. Last week, I took a casserole over to Miss Angie. I'm pretty sure... She's in hospice care, but there she was on her walker eating something with legs on it. Wilder had to make an entrance, and it was, as the program says, grand. About 8.30, we were all waiting around, nibbling and chatting, when wham, all the lights went out. Trumpets started blaring, and about 15 spotlights shot up at the ceiling. The lights danced around, and the music then landed on a spot at the top of the folded-up bleachers. There stood Wilder in a big cloud of smoke, a dark suit and a red tie down to his belly button. You couldn't see any lower down on him because of the dark. 
He had his hair all fluffed up and his face kind of glowed orange through the fog. The trumpets got louder. Blah. 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 You know the fanfare from that old sci-fi picture. More trumpets and you could feel the big drums. Boom, 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 Somebody switched on a strobe light and Wilder started gliding down the bleachers like he was on an escalator. I had, had to be the lights at the time. But he just seemed to float like some alien descending from heaven. Once he hit the bottom, he stood for a minute while the music faded out. Then the lights came up and the crowd kind of surged in on him. He spent the next half hour posing for selfies. I kind of looked around trying to find where they had hid the lights and the speakers and the fog machines. I found out later that Wilder borrowed all of them from local churches. He got all the entertainment from the churches, too. You can see on the program, it started at nine with our own little skillet sisters. Those girls were a big hit. They sang four or five patriotic numbers, and the crowd clapped so hard they had to do an encore. So, patience whistled stars and stripes forever while Joy waved a flag. Charity played the spoons and Sarah's tap dance. You would have thought Elvis had come out of the grave. People were shouting and stomping, so the girls did another. By then, I reckon they ran out of patriotic material because they sang one of those hymns they usually sing at funerals, all about mama dying and brother off to war. But people didn't mind. There hasn't been a big funeral at Dover Hill for a month or two, so we hadn't heard that one in a while. Your dad and I left about 1030 right after Pastor Frank from the Holier Than Thou Church and Brother Larry from the One True Church did their imitation of Jerry Lee Lewis and Jimmy Swagger. Did you know those two were cousins? Jerry and Jimmy, not Frank and Larry. Pastor Frank played that piano with both hands and a foot while Larry sang and sobbed. We weren't sure if we should be laughing or crying or praising the Lord, so we did all three. I heard cousin Connie Wint went over well this morning. She didn't go on until around four, so it's hard to say if people were laughing at her jokes or just loopy for a lack of sleep. Anyway, I heard she stopped about halfway through her act to talk about how God had sent Eugene Wilder to save Calvary County from atheism and asked everybody to pray. Not a bad idea, the praying part. <laughs> you know what I think of the other part. Love you dearly, Mom. Susie's letter pushed Grit, Grit off the railroad tracks and onto a slightly brighter path. He hated that both Calvary County folks were studying stock and a crooked politician. But he was happy that his mother saw through the flame plant. Happy, but not surprised. Susie Griffin did not suffer fools lightly and could smell lies. Spoken, printed, texted, emailed, twittered, or wigwag, upwind in a hailstorm. <laughs> okay, well, you, you have heard the, how she writes and the humor and the satire and that. So that was a good. Uh, Good taste, and so they would need to, if they wanted to get your books from Amazon, right, it would be Becky Woolley. Yes, that, that's the name they would have. Okay, and there's three of them called Nonprofit Murders, right? Right. And Murder Intelligently Designed. Yes. And the last one is Murder Transported. Murder Transported, yes. Nonprofit Murders, you can get in an Audible, you can listen to it if you want. Oh, it's not. Who did you get to read that? I have a friend who's a professional. Oh. And 
he did it for me way back when. And he does a good job. I have a, a minister in there who does a sermon that I have put little musical locations in the sermon, like Motto Profundo and so forth. And uh, my friend read it perfectly. I thought it was beautiful. I have another selection of, okay. yeah, from this same book. And it is, at, that was the inauguration. This is uh, Wilder gets himself appointed deacon. The church has changed its name from Family Reunion Church to the Church of the Transported Deacon. And now Wilder is preaching a Wednesday night sermon. And we have it on video. So I'm going to describe the video. Susie's camera panned the sanctuary, church members and visitors holding posters and banners with Wilder's new slogan, Make America Clean Again, filled every, every seat and most of the aisles. Men, women, and children in green M-A-C-A caps jumped and shouted and chanted, We believe, we believe, we believe in transportation. A grinning Wilder entered, waving to wild cheers. He flashed a whitened smile, strode to the podium, and encouraged further adulation with his own applause. Eventually, the noise subsided, but the crowd remained on its feet. God bless Dover Hill, Wilder commanded. The crowd cheered. God bless Calvary County, whistled stomp. God bless Alabama, wild shouting, banners waving, and God bless. Wilder paused. Fireworks exploded on a screen above him, and Fong shot out behind him like a giant fart. The United States of America! The adoring crowd screamed, shouted, and waved their Mecca hat in worship. The rent quieted to a low murmur. God bless. God bless. This is my country, Wilder confided to the microphone. Mine, all mine. He lumbered to the flagpole, standing at the edge of the stage and crushed it in his fleshy arms. The crowd gasped and sobbed. Wilder pushed a button. New pictures appeared, protesters clashing with police and riot gear. This is what Dover Hill will look like if I am convicted of murder. Our quiet, peaceful town will be overrun with hooligans. Your wives and mothers will be raped. Your children will be kidnapped. The scene changed to rampaging rioters. Gunshots rang out. Your businesses will be burned. Your jobs will end. Dover Hill, Alabama will be just another Chicago. I am the only one who can keep the liberals from shutting down our churches. Wilder waited for the indignant responses to dwindle but resumed before they totally resolved. Where are you hearing stories that I am a criminal? Asked. From the lying liberal socialist media. The lying liberal socialist left-wing Bennettville Sentinel. Ooh, ooh, liberal socialist. The Sentinel, Wilder crooked grin stretched wide. It's a joke. It's a hack written rag. And that reporter, Wilder made quote marks in the air and sneered. An ignorant, unpaid intern, Britt Griffin, made it up, made it all up, lied to make himself famous. Now it's all over the news. Wilder curled his lip and disgust white. CNN, CNBC. They say Wilder is a criminal. Wilder is a murderer. Do you believe that? Do you believe I'm a murderer? No, no, it's fake news, fake. Now I'm paying bail money. I'm paying lawyers. I'm trying to fight off every sort of evil in this world. I need your help. 
you and your donations are all that stand between Dover Hill and the liberal socialist agenda that seeks to take away our freedom. Grit turned off the video and yelled a few uncredible. <laughs> okay. Now, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I asked you where your sense of humor comes from, and you said it came from being unable to speak your piece, maybe, for many years. Yeah. Um, is, would that be because the sense in the church that you could not speak as a woman or some other reason? You're not. When you're a minister's wife. Yeah. Um, I may have presumed, you know, at, and the last congregation that we worked for, I was in a group of very considerate people and I would not blame them for my angst. But when you are the minister's wife, you are under scrutiny. You're not going to hold political opinions. You're certainly not going to question the leadership. Uh, you are automatically out of order if you express much of opinion at all. You know, mm -hmm. that was just the way I was brought up in the church. You're taught from the tiniest person that you, you are a female and that makes a difference. And uh, I no longer believe that. But at the time, I had to practice what I believed. And then when I didn't believe that, I still couldn't practice it. You know, yeah. It's interesting because I, uh, one of the other guests that I had, she is a minister and the, uh, uh, she had been, she had worked in churches and she had been a chaplain in a hospital and things like that. And she, in her experience, she had never known there was anything to question what she was doing, you know, and then some people started to question it. And, you know, we had an interesting conversation about that. It was more about her role in ministry than, necessarily something she would say but yeah inter interesting discussion we could have there um so what are their running projects are you working on that's not a good question <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, oh, uh, i'm looking for something let's put it that way uh, i'm looking for something that will not only uh motivate me but give me that passion that makes it worth the time and the effort because yeah. it's you know that it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. And um, it's like when I write poetry, it's almost like it has to be in the moment when something comes to me and I have to put it down on paper and and nothing's coming. Not even necessarily legitimate for me to call myself a writer, because I think a writer is somebody who writes just like a baker is somebody who bakes and you don't have to have inspiration to make a loaf of bread. But I do. I have found that out that to me, it's not worth the time and the effort and the very hard work unless I am passionate about it. And yes. At the moment, at the moment, I haven't latched on to that person that I want to murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, does it does it have to be? A <laughs> no, no. And but but uh, I, I have worked in that genre and and that seems to be where my mind goes it, it, like, uh, when my passion is is ignited it's in instant anger and I, I need to find another another passion other than anger yeah <laughs> that's interesting because I were in some murder mysteries but they were more about they were more about how it affected people than than the real procedural aspects of it you know 
Yeah. Um, but because some people do that, you know, do that very well, better than I do. So, yeah, my next question was going to be, I think what you just already answered it. What do you like about writing and what not so much? <laughs> yeah, it, it is difficult. It's very hard for me to do. And it's getting harder. But I'm very thankful for computers. I think I don't think I could have written with if before computers because the computer has it all in there stored away. And if you want to find something, you push a button and put in a word and bingo, there it is. Yes. You don't have to remember which chapter it was in or you don't have. And if you make a big boo-boo, you can make it, you know, you can change all and it's all changed. You don't have to go in and make six copies of the, the you know, the right thing. So I think there are a lot of people writing today who never would have written without computers. And, and you know, that's a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Some of those people, they do, they need to be writing. And some of those people do not need to be writing and they don't need to be self-publishing either. But that's a whole other process. And, and I think there are people who are selling books who would not have sold books without social media. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. So um, there's good side to it. OK, anything else you want to say? It's been fascinating, a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I am thankful to have known you through the years and for me the help given me. Uh, the, I think we share a certain sensibility and, and creators do uh, mm -hmm. and, and Christians do. So thank you. Thank you for the interview. Well, great. Well, I uh, appreciate you being on today. Listeners. I love doing this podcast. I hope deeply that you also enjoy listening. As we bring this content free of charge, I have some requests that will help it continue. We have exceeded 2,000 listens for the 24 yes and 30 episodes. That doesn't include the YouTube listens. And none of it would have happened without Clemencia Villafuerte, our producer. I have to say that I depend on her a great deal. In some ways, that number's great because I don't do much advertising or promotion. I depend on listeners to repost on social media and for the guests to post the links on their websites. On the other hand, it's really pretty low as the podcast world goes. Really, really low. So I can't monetize it, at least not yet. That's good and bad. You all don't have to listen to random commercials about uh, who knows what. Yay! And I don't have any financial help. Boo. So here are the asks as the trendy people say now. I'm not sure what was wrong with the word requests, but number one, keep telling folks about this podcast. Even if it's just one that you particularly cared for, tell them about that one and they might get interested in the others. Of course, keep listening. Third, and here's the commercial part, buy my books to offset the costs of the podcast. I don't talk about them much because I'm really terrible at marketing. I have several novels available on Amazon. You can look them up under Barbara G. Tucker or Barbara Graham Tucker, as in Graham Cracker, rolling my eyes, or you can ask me for signed copies. The most recent, Sudden Future by Colorful Crow Publishing would make a great Christmas gift for a reader of any age. I will have another coming out before Christmas, Long Lost Justice. 
Others are Bringing Abundance Back, which I call the Southern Chicklet Book, Long Lost Family, A Not-So-Cozy Mystery, Long Lost Promise, Even Less Cozy, I haven't figured out how murders can be cozy, and The Unexpected Christmas Visitors, A Story About Refugees. All are on Kindle, too. Also, I have short Bible studies. I'm not at the GoFundMe point yet. Finally, buy the books of the folks I've interviewed here or will. Luke Manjay of Ginseng Diggers, Becky Woolley, Ray Atkins, Katie Ballantyne, Devereaux Shivington Stebbins, Susan Kirkland, Renee Winchester, Carly Land, David Cady, Millicent Flake, Noah Knox Marshall, and Amber Nagel. You are a person interested in the artistic community of Chattanooga, Northwest Georgia, and beyond. Help them out. Thank you for listening to this commercial. We've been talking with Becky Woolley of Chattanooga about her mystery novels, her murder mystery novels, and we encourage you to look them up on Amazon and try them out. See you next time. Bye-bye.